This morning's reading is from Luke 11, from uh, verse 1 to 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, let me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And then, then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. For he who seeks finds and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. Wonderful Father in heaven, we just come right now, pausing for a moment, to best ponder who you really are, the creator and the sustainer of everything. Nothing is impossible for you. You can take the most irresponsible person and by the blessing of salvation and the outpouring of your Holy Spirit, transform them into responsible children of their Father in Heaven. Father, today, as we begin a journey that would focus on prayer, let your Spirit come down upon us now and quicken each one of us that we would receive that word that you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, Amen. What's the most powerful weapon Christians have? Prayer. Okay, That's true. We say it, And yet, let's be honest, in our day-to-day living, often uh, we don't utilise it really as God desires. Many years ago, a wife of uh, one of the pastors that I had been ordained alongside, while we were enjoying a pleasant picnic under a silky oak tree in the shade of that tree, turned to me and asked this question, how many hours do you pray each day? I nearly choked on the mouthful that I had. In my mind, I'm thinking, did she say hours? Surely I misheard her. As I mumbled some sort of excuse, I was really startled by remembering some words of John Wesley, who actually said he held a very poor view of any Christian who did not pray for at least four hours a day. How's your prayer life? How many minutes, hours a day do you actually give to prayer? Prayer is at the core of God's will for his people. Prayer 
is the highest activity of human beings because it establishes the unique, special relationship we have with God. It settles everything, really. And the Bible's full of accounts of his people crying out to him in prayer. Okay? Jesus' life on earth is marked by the practice of prayer. It was a vital part of his relationship with his Father, Almighty God. Is your life and your family and your ministry sustained by prayer? It's a very critical question we need to ask ourselves. I'm asking, in other words, if if prayer is the visible engine that constantly calls down the power of God in your life and your family and your ministry to the glory of his name. The reason that prayer is essential to your Christian life and family and ministry is that you exist for this purpose. Your family exists for this purpose. Your ministry exists for this purpose. To do the humanly impossible. And that is to magnify Jesus Christ through your witness expressing the unity of love in the cause of the gospel, being fearless before your adversaries, being humble and counting others more significant than yourselves. That's pretty awesome. Hmm? God has established prayer as the means by which we receive His supernatural help. And without His supernatural help, we cannot live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything that distinguishes Christians from the world in a Christ-exalting way is a work of God's supernatural grace. And if we haven't grasped that, we're missing everything. Okay? God has ordained His grace flows to us through prayer. And that's why prayer must be central not peripheral to our life and family and ministry. Now, of course, we have to recognise people pray for all sorts of things and reasons and all sorts of people pray. They pray to all sorts of so-called gods according to what they believe. In the aftermath, if you remember, of the terrorist attack in the USA back September 11, um, 2001, a lot of people turned to prayer. And the same thing happens following the Bali bombing in October 2002. And in Australia, um, long years of drought lead to many prayer meetings. People who never pray, often pray, when tragedy strikes. Without doubt, a crisis will lead people to pray. Okay? But what good will the praying do? Here's the question. What's the basis for effective prayer? Okay? The basis for effective prayer. As Christians, we all know prayer is important. It's a central function of the life of faith, actually, the very heartbeat of our life in God. Yet, many Christians have got problems in their prayer life. Some struggle with wandering minds, others too easily distracted, some don't know how to start, keep on going. Most know they ought to be doing way better. I know that struggle. Let me tell you, friends, my type A personality is exhibited by ambitious, organised impatience, like to be punctual, and as my wife would verify, I can also be irritable. I read hosts of books on prayer 
they all really inspired me and didn't help. Why? Because I found out that 95% of books on prayer are written by contemplatives, which is the absolute opposite of what I am. And they make up about 5 to 10% of the population. That's interesting, isn't it? So what do we do? I'll tell you, when I turned actually to God's Word, I began a journey learning the way of prayer in a way I had never done before. I'm still on the journey, friends. How about you? Are you on that journey? Seriously? Beginning today, we're going to give three Sundays to sharpening our prayer life from the one real expert in prayer, Jesus. We'll use the pattern for prayer he gave his disciples. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Okay? We've memorized it, we've quoted it, we've sang it. Um, we've done all sorts of things, but I think rarely do we see it as a group of topics to be followed in prayer under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And that's the journey we're going to go in the next three weeks. Jesus' pattern for prayer tells of the vital importance, actually, of the right approach when we pray. People often say, you know, I prayed, I prayed, nothing happened, I got no satisfaction out of it. I'm telling you, clearly their approach must have been wrong. It's as simple as that, really. Okay? Um, we tend to be, let's be honest, we tend to be so self-centred in our praying. We, we say, oh God, and then we focus on all our issues in our life, all our personal problems and whatever we want God to do. Isn't that true? Yeah? I mean, that's, it's a shopping list, in other words, often when we come to pray. That's not how Jesus said we should focus our praying initially. Okay? According to Jesus, we need to seriously consider what we're about to do because prayer means we are speaking to God, holy God, creator of everything. This is one of the most significant things I learned. When I stop and just pause for a moment, and it's even there now, the sense of his presence so strong that, that you know, it's, it's wow time. It changes everything, friends, when you come to that. By focusing on God and who he is first, then we find, and the first point in your outline is, because we're now realising his presence, prayer does not become a plaintive cry of uncertainty. See, often, this, even in the psalmist he got this, though an army besiege me, though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. That's amazing. I mean, just think about wartime. On hearing sounds in the dark, a soldier on sentry duty sounds, who goes there? Behind the cry lies uncertainty and anxiety and fear, along with a deep yearning to hear the voice of a friend. Prayer is like that for a lot of people. Okay? In the midst of their anxieties, they cry out to God, not knowing if he's for them or against them. And peering into the darkness of life, they cry, Where are you, God? Are you there? That isn't how Jesus taught us to pray. It's not how Jesus understood prayer. Prayer comes actually from confidence in God and his love for us. If you want to go back to, to that which uh, was shared with us 
by Mervyn in terms of communion, the covenant agreement that God has with us in Jesus Christ. That's amazing covenant, really, that he would hear us and treat us as his children. Prayer comes from a confidence in God and his love for us. It's why the Bible says, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 4, verses 14, 16. In him, Jesus, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Ephesians 3.12 Friends, when we pray, we can come boldly into the presence of our Father in heaven. Assured, he is for us and wants to meet our needs and touch our lives and change the things around us through us. Friends, second thing, prayer flows from God's word to us. Jesus said, if you remind, now remember, Jesus is the word incarnate. He's the word become flesh. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. John fifteen seven. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete, John 16, 24. Friends, when we look into the eyes of Jesus of Nazareth, everything changes. We realise we're the ones wandering about in the vicinity of a sentry box. We're the ones being challenged, not with a who goes there, but with an invitation, come to me, come to me. That's what God's saying when we come in prayer, come to me. God's calling us to himself. Friends, God's always there first. Have you noticed that? You don't have any faith other than that God came first, revealed himself to you in some way. That's how it is. And it's a pattern. He reveals himself in his word and as the word begins to take root, his spirit quickens it to you and faith is quickened. You see, without the work of the spirit, you don't have any faith. It's all about God and what he does in that way. Come to me. When Jesus walked the earth, he died and rose for us. He ascended into heaven to bring us to the Father. To, I mean, friends, if you take Bethlehem and Golgotha out of history and the cry of God would be totally silenced, all praying would be meaningless because we have no access to God other than through Jesus Christ. You know that? That's the way he set it up now. Lots of people think they can come to God in all sorts of ways. No. God has said, you want to come to me, you come to me through my Son, Jesus Christ, your Saviour, your Redeemer, your Lord. That separates us from every other religion in the world. And we need to know that. We can praise God because it is that His Word has come to us freeing our tongues to pray boldly, confidently, because we know God is for us, with us, identifies with us, understands our situation better than we do and longs to help us, empower us to live life as he wants. So God, prayer is not a plaintive cry of uncertainty. Prayer flows from God's word to us and prayer comes from a personal relationship with God. Absolutely essential. 
our Father in heaven. Jesus certainly revealed his relationship with God because that was the very foundation of his life. It gave direction to all he did. His life, his death, his resurrection for was for one purpose only. That is to glorify his Father by bringing the kingdom of God to people's lives. Simple as that. He came proclaiming the kingdom of God, demonstrating its reality by healing the sick, driving demon spirits from people. In and through it all, his one concern was glorifying his Father. John 17 verse 1, 4 says that. You'll never understand praying as Jesus taught if you don't realise the guideline prayer he gave his disciples is concerned from beginning to end with his, his ambition to glorify God by bringing God's sovereign rule to bear on people's lives. That's why he goes on, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Friends, when you really focus on this, the Lord's disciples' prayer really, because it's one he taught and gave to his disciples, gave to us, okay? when you focus it like that, it's totally God-centred. It's totally God-orientated. And that's how it was for Jesus. Okay? And that's how it's to be for us, friends. Now let me go take you back to know your church history. In answer to the question, what is man's chief aim? The Westminster Catechism, now you, you all know your catechism, don't you? States what? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's a great statement. Prayer is the key to that. Jesus knew it and his life demonstrated it. And the disciples, inspired by Jesus praying, you need to understand, I mean, these men close to him are seeing Jesus pray. They know he suddenly, when it crisis is on, he suddenly disappears. All the people are clamoring around him for things. He disappears for a couple of hours. Every now, they know he gets up early in the morning. They've been with him when he's been praying. Somehow, his praying is different than any other kind of praying they've known. So they go, Lord, teach us to pray. We want to know how you pray. John the Baptist actually taught his disciples how to pray. We want you to teach us your way of praying because it's different from John's, I can tell you. See, what that says to me, friends, is that the disciples' request shows they saw themselves as a community centred on Jesus because people, who, whoever the guru was of the time, the rabbi of the time, actually coached his people in praying in a certain way and, and they gathered around him for that. So this, Jesus' disciples are centred on Jesus and they wanted a prayer that would identify them that gave expression to their main purpose as Jesus' followers and Jesus gave them just that sort of prayer. In fact, the Lord's disciples' prayer is the clearest, richest summary of the thrust of Jesus' ministry that we can possess. Praying the way Jesus prayed means beginning our prayer with the boldest term possible. Our Father, literally Abba, or to put it in our language, our Daddy. Would you dare to call God Dad? Daddy? That's what Jesus did it. It's interesting, isn't it? That says that really amazing relationship. It speaks of the most intimate relationship, in fact. Jesus, because it was an everyday word in Jesus' time. It was a homely family word. It was used by every child for his or her dad amongst the Jewish people. 
a word suggesting intimate affection and trust, a word focused on relationship between a loving father and a grateful child. No Jew would dare to address God that way. Jesus always did, always did, except for his cry of dereliction on the cross. When it is, he was alienated for the moment from his Father in heaven because he's carrying your sin, my sin, and the sin of the world upon himself. See, Jesus praying reflects his relationship with God. He spoke as a child speaks with his or her parent, simply, intimately, securely. This is the heart of the revelation given him by God at his baptism. You are my son whom I love, Mark 1.11. In the word Abba, Daddy, Father, we come face to face with the full knowledge of, that Jesus received from God. God was his daddy. It's an incredible truth which affected everything he said and did. Even more astounding, friends, is that Jesus authorises his disciples, you and I, to use the same word he did when we pray. Here's the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus gives us a new relationship with God. He's giving us a share of his sonship. And in doing that, he authorizes, empowers us as his followers to speak to God as he did. John put it like this in the beginning of his gospel. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, the authority, literally, to become children of God. It's a new relationship with God, opening the door of God's reign to us. Truly I say to you, unless you become like little children again, you'll not find the entrance to the kingdom of God. Matthew 18.3. Friends, the kingdom reign of God comes to those who enter a new life with God. Okay? The same father-son relationship Jesus had with God. And we can only have it through faith in Jesus. As Paul wrote, there is no sure sign of guarantee of the possession of the Holy Spirit and the gift of sonship than this, that a person is bold to say this one word, Abba, Father, when she is talking to God. Romans 8, 15, 16. Friends, your relationship with God is the strongest bond you have. He is faithful to his children. And we must never lose sight of this, friends. It's why Satan will always try to ruin our relationship with our Father in heaven. He will do anything he can to break that. But we're not an only child. The hour is important, vitally important, because the hour reminds us that we belong to a family, God's family and families have many relationships within it it reminds me and you that all God has is ours in Jesus not yours or mine alone okay it reminds us that we approach the father through Jesus our brother amidst brothers and sisters it's saying it's only those now get this it's only those who are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who can truly say, our Father, and mean it with integrity and know the reality of his rich blessings. I mean, we've abused this prayer a lot. In the early days of Christianity, the privilege of praying the Lord's Prayer was limited to the baptised members of the church. It was a special prayer of those loved who loved the Lord Jesus. Today, in a sense, lots of ways, even in our pagan world, it's, it's become common property of a lot of people. It's inflation of the worst kind. It's used at the opening of Parliament. 
of Australia. It's become a religious act, mumbled by many who have no and no, absolutely no knowledge, really, of Jesus as their Saviour and Lord. Who do not know God intimately because he's become their dad. The basis of all real prayer is the personal, intimate relationship with God that Jesus had. And no one can pray that way who has not entered into sonship of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Only he gives us the right to come before God in that way. Number four, prayer confidence, in other words, comes from knowing who we are in God. It's only when we know deep within our hearts that God is our Father and who is in heaven that we enter into real prayer. You see, love says our, faith says Father. Prayer that knows God is above all things, that he's the creator of the universe, he is awesome, for nothing is impossible for him, and yet is our Father, is a full, confident assurance. Friends, do you see what I'm trying to get to you here? It's an amazing privilege. In today's world, the miracle of being able to know God in this way should fill your heart with awe, wonder at his grace and mercy and the natural cry of praise will follow. That's why Jesus said would happen. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. You see, when you know God as our Father in heaven, there can only be one ambition for us and that is to glorify his name and proclaim his kingdom in Jesus Christ. Prayer is the most important work in the kingdom of God of God. It brings intimacy with the Father in heaven as we seek his face okay, and his will. It releases the power of God into the realm of this world of lost and struggling humanity. It's an act of humility for it declares we're helpless and totally dependent upon the ruler of the universe. It says we are out for his glory, not our own. It's in this light we can understand why the Lord's disciples' prayer goes on to be a prayer for the final redemption a prayer of the full realisation here and now of the saving gifts of God, the full manifestation of the Spirit's activity, as well as a cry for preservation from apostasy, the falling away from faith in the last and terrible hour of temptation. We'll see here where this all goes, friends. It's the prayer of the community of the age of salvation that begins and ends with Jesus. So vital for the risen Lord in heaven is continuing to intercede for each of us. That's what it says in Hebrews 7.25. You and I are on Jesus' prayer list. I love that. It's awesome. So as we close, I remind you of this reality. Prayer changes things. Many situations have been altered. Lives changed. Priorities rearranged. Communities transformed by people giving time in prayer. Why is this? God answers prayer. It's as simple as that. God performs miracles. He is real and communion with him is a glorious reality. God does answer prayer. Through prayer and communion with God, we can affect the course of this world. We can, in fact, change the complexion of society. And it's been done different times in this world's history. Not only does prayer change things, it changes people the lives of the ones prayed for as well as the people praying. That's really important. Thousands of answers to prayer are recorded regularly in the books of heaven 
as well as in the remembrances of committed Christians. Miracles of salvation, healing, preservation, deliverance, empowerment are common occurrences for those who really believe God's word and appropriate his promises for themselves and others in prayer. Do you commit yourselves to become a much more praying people? That's the real issue, friends. Prayer changes everything because it invokes our Father in Heaven's power into the situation. Revival, which we often long for, has never, there's never been a revival in the history of the church but for people praying first. You know that? And praying and praying and praying till it comes. Let's pray. Almighty oh, God, our wonderful Father in Heaven, praise be to your name, Yahweh. El Shaddai, God Almighty, Elohim, Creator of everything, Yahushua, your Son's name, God saves. Oh, we could go on, Father, just listing your names and reflecting on that, that you're our healer, you're our restorer, you're our fortress, you're our rock, you're our defender, you are our God, and you are our Father. And you're not like any human father, you're way beyond that. Oh, Father, send your Spirit down upon us anew now for Jesus, your Son's sake. Pour your Holy Spirit out upon us now, today, tomorrow, every day, that that Spirit would witness deep within our hearts, our souls, that we are your children, that our cry to you would be, Oh, Daddy, thank you, thank you, Thank you. I need this help in this situation. This person needs help in this situation. Oh, God, Father, come to us in the wonderful name of Jesus and train us and coach us and enable us and empower us to be true disciples of Jesus, true children of God, faithful to the end of the age. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.